Greetings. We offer these podcasts freely, and your support really makes a difference. To make a donation, please visit tarbrock.com. Namaste. Welcome, friends. As some are aware, at the beginning of uh, last December, I circulated a short piece of writing in response to the violence in the West Bank, Gaza, and Israel. And in that, I voiced my support for an immediate ceasefire, return of all hostages, and expedited humanitarian uh, aid for Gaza. And if you're interested, uh, you can you can find that on my homepage. So it was translated into Hebrew, and I was recently invited to have a conversation with Asaf Katz, who's, uh, this is part of an event for the Tovana meditation community in Israel. Um, so Asaf is an activist and Buddhist teacher for, the, for Tovana, and he opposes the Israeli government's devastating military action and long occupation in Palestine, and he's dedicated to finding a path to peace. So in this conversation, he um, opens by asking me about uh, my own inner process behind taking a public stance and something that so painfully divides many of my friends and students. And so we also talked about how we can work with uh, strong, reactive emotions and trauma. Uh, we talked about what helps us to speak and act in a way that um, truly serves the greater good, and what can give us hope for eventual peace. So our time together included a question-answer period uh, with those who are present at the event and a sharing of prayers. Okay, friends, I appreciate you tuning in, and I really understand and honor the differing views in our our very diverse community of listeners, and hope you find something uh, in this that supports your heart and your spirit. Okay, blessings and love. So when when I asked you to have an interview. It was after you uh, you wrote um, a text regarding the situation in Gaza and the West Bank and Israel. And I know it's been, I looked, uh, just before we, we started the meeting, I read it again. And it showed uh, the 26th of December, so it's already a month. Information and things changed since then, but I feel that the essence of it is actually not bound in time. It's in a way, it's uh, when we spoke about the meeting, we talked about the space of prayer in a way, the space from which that text arose in a way, and which is beyond time in my understanding of uh, life. So I thought just to begin, if you would like to say what what brought you to write that text, or if you want to talk about that text and what brought you to write it. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, in particular, thank you because it was really one of the most challenging processes that I've been through in a really long time. <laughs> and um, usually I feel very, uh, it's not like I'm deciding. There's it's just a natural feeling of oh, this I'm feel, this is a call for this, and and then an offering. But in this situation, I was really struggling because, um, you know, many know I I co-lead a teacher training program. We've got a couple of thousand people from around the world, and I also have a large network of students and friends and. Um, there was so much trauma, and I was hearing from so many people, my Jewish and Israeli friends, with just the torment of what what went on and what is going on, uh, with hostages, so many still there. And then I was also hearing from 
Palestinian Arab Muslim friends with the just the increasing growing trauma of the you know enormity the scale of violence in in Gaza and West Bank and so nothing I could say would not deeply upset some people that were finding refuge in me or not really me in the teachings that they were finding through me there was nothing I could say that wouldn't uh, be hugely distressing, feel hurtful. So I was caught because um, it's been so integral to what I teach that you can't talk about spirituality without talking about how we speak and act on the planet, that compassion and action is right at the center. And here I was not speaking. So it was it was hard. And mostly the process was I had to keep getting quiet and have enough equanimity so I wasn't caught in the charge of my own anger and distress. And from that place, there was a single thing I knew was true, which is I need to speak and it has to come from a very pure heart. You know, it really, it just had to, that's, I just had to keep saying, what do I truly care about? What really matters? In the same way I asked you your aspiration. And so I felt it, the calling was really strong. So that's what I just did. I kept saying, what does this heart really care about? What matters? And then I, um, there was another step to say, which is I leaned in to talking with my Jewish and Israeli friends so I could really feel what people were feeling. I really wanted to be intimate. And I did the same thing with my friends from Jordan, from Lebanon, those who spent a lot of time in the West Bank. Um, I really wanted to feel what it felt like to be directly impacted. And that was really painful. Um, I wanted to be touched so I could grieve and really um, inhabit a space beyond us, them, that I could truly care about everybody that was suffering. Because I knew I couldn't write unless that was the case. And I want to share with you just a few other things. I haven't really spoken of this. Um, there were a few things that I heard, sentiments actually from some in Israel that really were powerful for me. One was a YouTube of a 19-year-old from a kibbutz, I think it's very famous and viral in, in Israel, where, where this woman talks about the horror of what she went through. And then she says, and I'm going to read this, how am I supposed to get up in the morning knowing that 14, 4.5 Mil kilogram kilometers from kibbutz, and I don't know how I'm not the pronunciation, but Be'eri, Be'eri, yeah, and got that only 4.5 kilometers from here, there are people for whom this event has not ended who are going through what I have been through with nowhere to flee. So she expressed her grief and her fear for those still held hostage from her community. And then she called, not for more violence, but for a lasting solution. You know, in her grief, she's pleading for a different way forward. So that, oh my gosh, that was just so powerful to see. There was a journalist from Israel who said that if you believe that Israeli children and Palestinian children are equally valuable, go out and cry this on the streets. Um. Yeah. So it really kind of uh, just grounded me in that knowledge. And the Buddhist scriptures say it so well that hatred never ceases by hatred, but by love alone is healed. This is the ancient and eternal law. That, that violence, the vengeance, it just won't create future safety. It only creates more of the same, which is, I suspect, something that's a shared understanding on some level in a very particular way, for me, it meant, please, cease fire now, you know, release the hostages, release the hostages, and do whatever's possible to get in humanitarian aid. 
it just, it was so compelling. So I really felt in writing that this, this, this is what's necessary to protect the lives of Palestinians and Israelis alike and um, to plant seeds for a better future. And I just want to also let you know, since, um, you know, I've heard, gotten a lot back, um, you know, I got called a Nazi sympathizer and that I was betraying my people. I am Jewish ancestrally from all sides, you know. My father spent time in a kibbutz, you know, there's that. And then I also heard from, uh, and people canceled being on my newsletter, and I heard many people that said, yeah, I'm Jewish and I totally am with you, or I'm from Israel, I heard from Israelis. Not as many, not as many. So that's a little bit of the background. I mean, one of the things that's so clear to me is that it's going to take all of us in some way planting seeds, you know, to keep connecting with what feels most moral in the code of our, in, in the core of our hearts, and then having the courage to engage. It's going to take all of us. And, and that I so honor you being here. This, I just feel like there's such a beauty in this willingness to be in a space where we can share views, maybe not agree. It doesn't matter about agreeing, but just dedicate to not hardening our hearts, to staying open, to looking. I mean, how else are we going to bridge divides if we can't do that? Um, yeah, so I think that's enough of a response. That was a long response. I hope that's, <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you. So you mentioned the, the the place you wanted to write from, or you wanted to express yourself, and uh, and one of the questions we made uh, before the meeting, you wrote, "How do I work with strong emotion and trauma, and guide other others?" So I can say that being in Israel, it, it's already close to it's like three and a half months. And I think most of us are still in a way traumatized and uh, like emotions are not stable. And And at the same time, we have the feeling that I think many of us that we need to act, we need to do, and we have a responsibility maybe also for others and the situation. Maybe if you have something to say about about that from what you went through or, yeah. Yeah, it's a really important question because I'm aware that the more traumatized we are, the harder it is to speak or act in a way that can be helpful. This is just, there's research all over the world on this. With the more trauma, the harder it is to empathize or um, be compassionate towards those that are perceived as the cause. I mean, it's just natural. It's human nature. So it takes some processing. I remember reading very soon after October 7th, Uval Harari saying, we're really traumatized here. We're not going to be able to have the the wisdom or perspective to, you know, speak right now, we're counting on those that aren't as traumatized to hold the hope for peace and to keep taking steps, you know. So I kind of want to name that, that it's not fair to expect too much and we have to take steps both. So for me, you know, and working with, it wasn't trauma. It was um, anger, horror, you know, and then eventually grief, like really deep grief. My own process is that when I'm really caught in the intensity of the reaction, including the fear of what's to come, which is a big one. And I have, and I'll, I just want to say that I have in relationship with this country I'm in, a huge amount of fear of what's to come. And it's for the globe. I mean, we're the whole globe seems to be um, in, a, in a deep lean towards um, authoritarianism, fascism, a real uh, inability to go beyond othering in a way that causes huge violence. So um, 
you know, as many of you are aware, we're in an election year that could be uh, a real horror show. You know, I know you know. So I'm having to work with with my own reactions all the time. And when they're strong, I take space. I try to find as safe a space as possible. Sometimes it's, usually it's alone. Sometimes it's with another person. Um, if I'm really shooken up, I'll immediately, uh, in some way, call on what feels like a resource to me. It's kind of a, a prayer to the beloved. Uh, for me, the beloved means the universal, formless love that lives through all of us, but I'm not always in touch with. So I'll call on the beloved, you know, to just to feel that some sense of that presence. And if I can feel enough of that presence, then I can begin to go right to where um, the pain is, right to where the anger is, right to where the fear is. And I'll find under it, and what I kept finding was powerlessness. You know, this awful, awful, right now unfolding horror. And um, that sense, that small ego self part that says, I've got to do something. What can I do? Oh, I can't, you know, I can't make a difference. So the powerlessness. And if I can get there and really open to it, then I find underneath it is a great grief. And even embedded in that is caring, that I care. That's homecoming, to come back to the fact that the ego may be powerless, may be afraid and anger, but deep down it's caring. And if I can touch into that caring and, and hold my own being with kindness, um, then I'm able to have a bigger view. I'm not so identified with the angry self. And from that bigger view, um, I can speak and I can act. So that's just a little bit of my own process again. I, I hope it's helpful to others because to me the, the key elements are if you're feeling trauma, you need some, some pathway to safety, a safe space. You need some pathway to some resource that brings some sense of connection. And then, this is the critical piece because, you know, our issues are in our dishes. We need, we need to contact directly, intimately, perhaps what we've been unwilling to feel. And I invite people, once they feel resourced enough, to ask themselves that question, you know, what am I unwilling to feel? Because we humans organize around not feeling what's difficult. And unless we care more about truth than we do feeling comfortable, we will sidestep it. So there's a kind of courage, once you're resourced enough, to say, what am I unwilling to feel? And then to feel what's there with as much presence and kindness as possible. Maybe the last thing to say is that um, when we're traumatized, we're not supposed to do some deep processing by ourselves. We need each other. And related, once we've done some processing, action helps. Action absorbs anxiety. Asaf, I know you know that. It's, it's healthy. Once we're in touch with ourselves, to act actually empowers and on the deepest level, here's what we can trust. And, and I, I love the way the Dalai Lama put this. He was asked by some Western teachers at one meeting, you know, what is the message we can bring to our students? And he said to trust the power of your heart and awareness to wake up through all circumstances. All circumstances. We can heal through trauma, and it takes patience and it takes each other to be with each other through it. I find that 
what you're talking about it's it's like um taking to a different level of consciousness to really absorb it and that many times it's okay so what do i do with it and take it and kind of to really stay with the words and give it some time especially in when there is so much triggering going around and now when you were talking about this um I don't remember the exact word, but kind of this hopelessness, the the feeling that I can't do, which feels very, I, I found it generally my feeling towards what's happening now in Gaza. So there's a lot of doing, and then at some point there's this feeling of, it's just this horrible thing, which I just can't stop. And to be a witness to something which is really horrific is uh, very difficult. To have this feeling that I can't stop such a thing, and I, and what arises in me many times is this fear that if I stay in that place, I won't do anything. And although I know from experience already that actually what happens is that I truly come into contact with what I'm feeling, and that now now when I did it, what actually arose was gratitude, yeah. gratitude for. Just being conscious to what the experience is. So the experience is actually very sad and a lot of grief. But there is something deeper which is has gratitude for knowing or not, in a way, not being ignorant to what I'm feeling. And I feel that's like a whole different uh, transformation. Like the heart is being transformed. That's right. And from the level of consciousness I had before, I cannot, um, I cannot act in the same way or have the same information needed for my action than when I come in contact with that thing. And from coming in contact, something completely different that I could never imagine can arise. I feel that needs a lot of uh, trust in a way. Kind of like trust that when you come in contact with that severe pain, something that I try just not to meet. To stay there, not to jump into something. And then trust that action will come or not come from that place. And from experience, I can say that when it comes, I think maybe what you wrote the text comes from that place and i feel that what it brings to the world is of a different magnitude than what i could do if i was more anxious because it brings in a way the truth of that that dukkha that pain holds a lot of truth and then it comes to the world and it brings yeah, it, it changes something deeply. Like that place in the heart changes something in the heart of others. And that goes beyond time and space in a way. I, I love what you're saying in a way. It's, it's talking about what really creates transmission and transformation. And our anger is intelligent. It's intelligent. It's, it's wired in for a really good reason. Something in us knows that there's something we have to pay attention to. So it's initiatory of that action that you're talking about. But it's not transformational itself because it has not yet unfolded through awareness. It's only when it's a portal, when we feel the anger and then our whatever, the fear, and underneath that, feel what we haven't been willing to feel, what's difficult. And if awareness is the superpower, it really, it does the work. It's not, not the self. If there's awareness of that sense of, I can't do anything, and there's awareness of, it's out of control, and then there's awareness of grief, it transforms. I have a lot of trust in sorrow. I don't know if that sounds strange, 
but have a lot of trust that when we're touching sorrow, we're touching into that place in our heart that is feeling the pain of separation and knows that our freedom is in recognizing our belonging. And sorrow is that sense of that we know that. And if we can open to that, then there's a purity that flows. It's almost as if we're no longer identified with a reactive ego self and the truth and love of the universe is flowing through. And that's when I heard you say, you know, then the actions, they're more transformational. It's because we're not there. Something else, something larger than a self is flowing through. And that is transmission. That is what creates true evolutionary change. You know, I, I want to, as I'm saying that, share a story that really brought this alive for me. And I first heard it in a movie. And um, in it, there's there's an African people called the coup, KU. And they had a ritual called the drowning man trial. So if someone was murdered, the way it would go is there would be a year of mourning. And then the killer would be put in a boat and bound and dropped into the water. And so he, he could drown or she could drown. And the family of the murdered person had to make a decision whether to um, let the person drown or swim out and save them. And the coup believed, this is what's so powerful, that if you let them drown, that you'll have justice, but spend the rest of your life in mourning. But if you save the person, that very act can take away your sorrow. And that they say, vengeance is a lazy form of grief. Vengeance is a lazy form of grief. Wow. We can sense it, that, that when we're caught in the anger and the fear and the vengeance, we're not home. We're reacting, but we're not in a place of healing. So it feels it feels very clear that that for me that when I'm I'm triggered and I'm reacting, the other has become unreal. They're like you know a body being bound out in a boat, but they're not real. They're not a real human. And um, that to get back to realness, I have to drop in and in and in with a lot of presence. And, and the challenge also is to realize that it's not the person or the group that's an enemy. You know, it's the pro unprocessed fear that gets us caught in the greed and the hatred and the delusion. It's unprocessed fear, so we have to go within. If we don't, we're part of the cycle of violence. Today I was um, I'm part of this group of activists working now against the war and mostly uh, to change the government. And I um, had a ride back with uh, one of like a very leading uh, psychotherapist who's part of also of the demonstrations. And we talked about uh, what is happening now in Israel. And I said that I, I felt I feel that we um, lost our humanity on the 7th of October. That many of us saw things that made us lose contact with, with humanity, with what is human and what is life. And, and that made us actually disconnected from life. And now we, so now we, um, we don't have such respect for life in general, not for a life of that person or my people, like generally, like our connection to life was diminished. And that we kind of need to bring back our humanity. And I told her that um, there's a lot of rage now or, or uh, depression. And actually what gave me a lot of um, hope or 
inspiration was reading uh, or listening to Martin Luther King, which for me, I, I, I'm listening to him in the last days. And I feel that he's, he's a remarkable human being. And I listened to him a few times and this connection between an amazing, magnificent um, uh, activist and at the same time, a real spiritual human being. Like you, he talks about the war in Vietnam really clearly about finishing it and getting out of Vietnam and all this stuff. And at the same time, talks in words of deep spirituality, of non-duality. And for me, it was really like... Um, feeling life coming and I think that meeting in a way it's like so humanity has these worst parts in it which we saw and we still for me we saw on the 7th of October and we're still seeing what is Israel is doing in Gaza but there are also these magnificent things in humanity that we we now I feel in Israel we need to see it in Israel and Palestine I think we need to be immersed in what is good humanity. And and maybe also this is kind of like what I felt in in the, in your text, kind of like this potential of being human has both of these. And we need to really, I see now also from kind of like from the dust comes amazing people are arising now in Israel and Palestine. Mm. People who manage to go beyond all this discrimination and all this violence and managed to really bring a wider future. Uh, yeah, a future that wasn't talked about for a lot of time in Israel. Like people just didn't talk about it. And now people can imagine from this time, can imagine a future which which is completely different. Mm. And people say, How can you imagine like peace in the Middle East in this time? And people say, no, I imagine peace in the Middle East. And like, have, I have a vision and I know it's going to take time, but I'm going there. I think that's very much needed now and to see this part of humanity. I love what you're saying. I'd say we need to see both our potential and also with clear eyes, the naturalness of where we get stuck. And um, I say that because when we're dehumanized, we dehumanize back. It's, it's just the way things go. Uh, we cut off from our humanity because part of our humanity is, is seeing the preciousness of all lives. We cut off. So that's just part of trauma. And it's natural. The, the challenge is that violence and violations don't exist without dehumanization. You have to, in some way, disconnect from the other being real. You have to disconnect. And, and this is like, you can see it through history, through whether it's the Nazis or the United, U.S. with our centuries of slavery and then white supremacy and genocide of indigenous people. All, Whenever there's genocide, whenever there's wide-scale violence, there's dehumanization going on. Humans are not perceiving others as real. So I, one of my students who is, uh, lives in East Africa uh, went to the Genocide Memorial Center in Rwanda, and he sent me an inscription that was on a plaque. And this just affected me so much. And here's what it read. It's, it said, if you knew me and you really knew yourself, you would not have killed me. We act violently because we are cut off. And so it feels to me that we need to sense what you're describing as this possibility to perceive our shared humanity, to perceive and revere life, the possibility of building a new world out of that, and also understand the compelling grip 
of what happens when we dehumanize and how often it happens. And I, I speak that I'm sh I'm saying this because every day I see it in myself, which is why I think it needs so much attention. Every day here in the United States, I'll hear the news and I'll immediately divide up the world into the good actors and the bad actors every day. And with it, there's a version. So I'm, I'm sharing this with you, friends, because it's in my psyche. So that tells me it's in the culture psyche, that there's a culture of contempt politically, and we can sense it wherever there's violence. So part of waking up into that consciousness of Martin Luther King, who was an amazing model of not making the other side bad, of really sensing the humanity and sensing the possibility of beloved community of us all. That was, his, that was the beauty of it. Um, that the first step is having the courage to sense, how is my heart biased? How am I um, putting others down on some level? And one spiritual teacher said to not put anyone out of your heart, including yourself. How am I doing that? Because if we have the honesty to ask that question, then awareness will carry us into a larger sense of being and belonging. I have this feeling of immensity that where you're leading can actually has is boundless. It can go like opening myself to the other to the other can go it has no no boundaries and it can open myself um, yeah it's immense and it for me it gives a lot of uh, hope in a way hope which have the problem with the word hope maybe but it's more a sense of knowing that something is possible rather than hoping for something but it's feeling that uh, that is possible that and, and I, I just want to say i'm right there with you we need to have the courage to stay open to possibility because that makes us available to that immensity that that to sensing hey you know the truth is we do belong to each other. That's the deepest truth. It's one source, one aliveness, one consciousness in a multitude of forms. We're all from the same source. That's the truth. And awareness keeps waking up to itself. So that's the possibility. And then we start asking the question, well, what helps me to align with that and to deepen it, to build it. And it feels really important, our words, how we speak. And I want to kind of come back to the beginning here, that um, it became important, not that just in my meditations, I felt like, okay, we're all one. And I can feel the preciousness of all the beings and the suffering of all, you know. It also mattered that I express that in action and that my words be an expression of that. Um, you know, there's, especially in this moment, words matter. You know, amid the deepest grief and fear and anger, you know, it's easy to feel like now exceptions or justifications can be made, you know, everyone's distressed, but the fact is it's the opposite, that it's in the charged and sensitive moments that our words can either feed the violence or plant the seeds of peace. And so it feels important that we speak and that we talk to each other and that we sense, you know, from the Dharma what guides us in talking to each other. You know, how do we talk with someone who really has a different view? And I know I'll just say for myself, if a person has a different view and they're not open to consciously speaking, you know, that, okay, we're here to um, 
that we have different views, acknowledging it, that that's okay. And we're here to wake up together, to learn, to practice listening and speaking. If that's there, then there's some hope that we can do that. And, and then if we genuinely listen to understand, and for me, it helps to ask people, what makes you feel that? What's behind that? That I really want to understand. That makes it possible to bridge some. And, you know, if if we get reactive, to invite a pause, you know. But in the deepest way, to seek to find what we have in common, because anyone I talk to, when I really spend time with, we all care about people not getting hurt more. On some level, we want not to have suffering. And, um, you know, I'll just share uh, one of my friends who's a, a commentator. Uh, his name is Van Jones. Some of you have heard of him, maybe. He works a lot with having people bridge divides by talking to each other. You know, I really, he, he's really a master. And at one point he was talking about how um, he was, he's African-American. He was confronted by some white supremacists in a very aggressive way. And he kind of modeled what I'm talking about. You know, okay, it's okay that we disagree. Let me understand better why you feel what you feel. And by the end, it was there was a lot more presence there. And what he said at the very end, and this just really got me, because they were talking about how much violence is in both directions. He said, if you can cry as much when that black man died in the police car, and I can cry just as much when that horrible bigot shot down the police, white bigot, and if you're crying and my crying, if we're crying just as much and we're crying together, then we can find a way to get our cops to be better and to take better care of our children. You know, he's speaking in this young man, this white supremacist is nodding and they end with a hug. It's really hard. And I feel like we need to bring our hearts, our longing for peace, our yearning for a better world into words that help to bridge divides. So if anybody has a question, you can write me or Anel, and we'll try to gather them. I'm a bit late with it. Uh, question for Tara. How can we trust the gold, the I think it's the good, the basic goodness of the people who murdered and kidnapped our friends, and the people in our government who put us in this divided and weak place that allow this horror to take place? Yeah, I, <laughs> I love that question. And it's probably one of the most important questions we can ask. Like, how do we trust the gold? How do we trust goodness? How do we trust reality? You know, how do we trust life when horrible things happen? And I can only speak for myself, um, which is, I don't trust that horrible things won't happen. I don't trust that humans will act from the gold. In fact, I know they don't a lot of the times. And the worse a person's conditioning is, in other words, the more fear and violence and hatred they grew up with, the more that conditioning is going to lead them to the same. I don't trust that I wouldn't be killed by somebody or my child wouldn't be. I don't. That's not, to me, what trusting the gold is. It comes to more what Saf was talking about with sensing our potential, what's possible, that there is a love and an awareness that's intrinsic and lives through everyone. Sometimes it's shut down so much that they commit heinous, horrible acts. Trusting the gold doesn't mean that we don't get shut off from the gold. And the more we touch that goodness in ourselves, and the more that I look at you and I'm looking at you in your little boxes online, 
and just see the hearts that are here. I trust what's possible and that gives me more power to bring it out in myself and others. So I hope that's helpful because it's not some Pollyanna, as they say in English, it's not some, um, you know, what's, what's the other word, um, naive kind of thing. It's sensing, as the Buddha talked about, that we all have Buddha nature. It is our potential. The only reason to have a Buddhism is because it puts forward the possibility of Martin Luther King opening his heart to all beings and being a model of nonviolence. It, it makes possible that each of us in our lives can keep on waking up to love, to creativity, to wisdom. It's what's possible. So even when I am most discouraged and, you know, it, I'm seeing what seems like the basic badness so much, I keep remembering that it's not a bad human. It's a force of ignorance. It's the not knowing. It's the cut off from the gold. And that's the suffering. And that very suffering has the potential to wake us up. It has the potential to wake us up. And if I can keep turning towards the light, if I can keep turning towards the possibility of goodness, then I become more a part of that goodness. It's, I, I often think of the Majjhima Nikaya, the Buddhist scriptures that say, others will be cruel, we shall not be cruel. We have the capacity to feel right at the center of our hearts what's true and what's moral and to live from that. Trust in that capacity. And thank you for the question. I took a while on it because it feels so important. Well, I'm amazed that you that you brought up that phrase from the Majjhima Nikaya because I love that sutta and I never heard anyone quote it. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So I'll take another question that was written. At, um, we have generally... Generally, we said we had another 10 minutes. So when you feel you want to move into the closing parts, just do it. Okay. So somebody asked, how do you deal with the uh, with the guilt of uh, continuing on the path, even if looking for the better place or safe place, when there are people still in this event which are in a continuous suffering? Mm. So if I hear that right, how... Do you, in your own process of taking care of the trauma inside you, work with the guilt that comes up that people are still in the raw horror of what's going on? Yeah. Like to allow myself to continue while people are still going through what they're going through. Yeah. I think guilt also needs to be brought into what we're paying attention to, if guilt's what's arising, when I feel guilty, it's not just, oh, I'm powerless, it's like I'm guilty for not doing more and I know it really well. You know, I, if I go into that guilt and I go deep into it, it's in some way um, a sense that I'm not, I'm not, I'm unworthy, I'm bad, I'm flawed. And if I really open to that, I can see it as a life pattern and know that never, ever do my actions that come from guilt serve as a transmission, serve as a healing. That it, they don't have the power to be helpful. I do a lot of, that's dutiful, but it's not as helpful. But when I can get under the guilt back to the caring itself, then it can be helpful. So let guilt just become an object of your meditation. And by the way, that's not a way to say, therefore, you don't need to act, you can spend your time on a meditation cushion. This is not, that's not the point. Sometimes we have to act before we're clear. Sometimes we have to act before we feel great equanimity. Sometimes we have to act before our hearts are wide open. And all we can do is just try to feel our deepest aspiration and then act. Sometimes we can't wait. Did you want another question before? Yeah? Uh, sure, we'll take one more. I love I love your questions. They're so right on. <laughs> People on the chat, where to go? So can you ask Tara, Tara for an advice? 
on how to manage or which state to be in when I wish to disagree or to point a different view from someone on social media. Like for Tara, both Israelis and anti-Israelis heavily crit criticize my views. I typically manage not to be in too much of a reactive mode, but rarely manage to bring the other person to dance to dance with me. So, yeah, it's a great question. When do we when do we engage when someone disagrees? For me, the criteria is: is there some potential for us both waking up? or for us as groups of people or people with certain views to wake up. If we feel like we're going to put something out there, but the impact is going to be just that people get more defensive or that it just deepens the divides, it's not so useful. But if we can put something out from a, as pure a place as possible and know that there are other people that are wanting truth more than to reinforce their opinions, then it can be valuable. So I hope that's helpful. And um, again, I, maybe just a, a closing word, because I do think this, this feels like a really good time for us to, to um, have a kind of final prayer together, to say that the point isn't to uh, navigate perfectly. There's no perfect way to navigate. There's no real formula. It's to keep coming back to what matters to our heart. And, and that's a spirit that we really wanted to close in, that, you know, we all have care in our hearts, and there's an enormity of power. It's the bodhisattva path. If we keep remembering what we care about, I trust our actions will end up having being beautiful, having healing to them. So um, is it possible that we open the chat? And is it okay to go over by a couple of minutes and to, and to open up the chat? Yeah, it's open. Okay. Let's see, because I'm not seeing the chat. Oh, there, I got it. Okay. And um, if you're not ready, come on to gallery view so that we can just really all see each other, be with each other. I'd like just to do a kind of inner process and then an outer meditation. And the inner process is starts with the invitation to go ahead and let your gaze lower and let your attention go inward. And, and bring a fresh interest. Okay, so what's it like right now? Real honest. Am I hopeful? Am I tired? Am I sad? Am I peaceful? Am I bored? Am I curious? Turning inward and perhaps now taking a few full breaths to really gather and collect your attention. Nice full deep in-breath and a slow out-breath. Deep full in-breath. Slow out-breath. So you can feel the sensations of releasing the breath. Let go, let go. Inhale deeply. Slow out-breath, letting go letting go. And as your breath resumes in its natural rhythm, observing the breath, feeling the breath. And as we did at the beginning, feeling the breath at the heart. So you can be intimate with the state of your heart right now. And in the context of what we've been exploring, you might ask your heart, what most matters? What do I most care about? What is my prayer? What is my prayer for what unfolds?
what is my prayer? And if you feel inclined, you might share in chat just in a few words. You know, I'll say the words, my prayer is dot, 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 and just share the dot, dot, dot part. You know, what is it that you really are wishing for our world right now? May we find our way into each other's hearts. Peace and love. I'm feeling more reassured, trusting there is a path being confirmed, wishing for us more often to see. Heart, humanity, similar in each other rather than different identity. Being sure with the path to find a way that will reduce suffering and bring peace and presence into the world. May we be free of fear and hatred, peace, silence, that compassion wins, compassion. Moments of connection so beautiful, all of it. All of it, ways that we might channel our pain and grief into speaking and acting in ways that end the cycles of violence. Listening. All beings throughout the world living in peaceful and respectful environments, having their needs met, may all children be raised in love and peace, regardless of race and religion. It's taking in each other's prayers, and, and you might, as you feel ready, just sense that you can open your eyes and take in each other for a moment, just enjoy taking in, and you might even land on one person and just sense, you know, we talked that question about trusting the goal, just sense the goodness, because we need to be reminded, and here we are, awakening, caring beings. Can we remind each other just to see another person and know, okay, this person cares. Understanding, tolerance, peace being close, nirvana. And maybe another person, this person too, bowing inwardly, just sensing the goodness and bowing to it, namaste. Maybe opening wide the sense of the space of awareness, and sensing all of us and millions and millions of others that are consciously waking up, everybody's waking up, but consciously waking up and feeling prayers for peace, for compassion, for connection. I'll read you, as a way of closing my, my part here, um, a prayer by uh, Rabbi Sheila Weinberg that touched me. Prayer for peace. Two peoples, one land, three faiths, one root, one earth, one mother, one sky, one beginning, one future, one destiny, one broken heart, one God. We pray to you, grant us a vision of unity. May we see the many in the one and the one in the many. May you, life of all the worlds, source of all amazing differences, help us to see clearly. Guide us gently and firmly toward each other, toward peace, praying together. Okay, my friends.
Really good to see you. I see some old friends here and some new ones. Beautiful to be together. Thank you. Thank you, Tara. I feel a lot of joy. So I feel happy when I said, no, it's not happy. It's called joy. It's, it's a different thing. Um, thank you very much. I made a mistake and I forgot to ask you if people wish to offer Dana, how can they do so? Um, I can say that for Tovana. If anybody wants, you can go into our website and, and the NL, I think we'll put the link here. Here it is. And if you wish to receive Dana in any way or to ask people to send it anyway, you can just say, sorry, I didn't ask before. No problem. Uh, not to me personally, but to offer to any um, program organization you feel will serve the path to peace. That would be beautiful. And, and I want to thank you, Asaf. You, it was, it's just a total delight to be in conversation with you. I feel so much your presence and your sincerity and goodness. So thank you. Enjoy. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.